there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're actually finishing up a sermon that we began last week. And uh, as you know, uh, as I said last week, what we're talking about is a, a very practical message. Uh, it's very simple, not deep at all, but it's very much to the point. Uh, I've, I have found that many of the things that the Bible records and demonstrates and shows us many times is very much to the point. It's very practical and it's simple, but boy, is it hard to live out. Some of these principles, when you look at it, are, I mean, it's almost like they're radical when you look at them, uh, especially what we're going to find in the passages uh, that we have this morning. So today we're continuing the series, Flourish, and today we're When Living in Truth, Part 2. So look at the introduction. Some of it's already filled in for you because those are the things we discussed last week. But the introduction, in this text, Paul instructs us with seven practical foundational statements. Now, I have condense those down to five concerning how to live a successful Christian life. These statements are in the present tense, meaning the content of these statements are to be continuous. And when you look at what we've already uncovered and what we're going to look at today, you're going to say, wow, continuous. I mean, think about life. What happens in life? We have our ups, we have our downs, don't we? We all do. But he is saying that the commands that he's giving us today, he's saying should constantly be in our life, no matter if life is up or life is down. The circumstances of our life, whether it's up or down, these things need to be continuously in our lives. So for the Christian life to be successful, these statements must be in effect. So last week, we looked at the whole idea to be joyful. And it's literally the idea from sorrow to glory. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says this, rejoice always. Now, this is not the only place you find this terminology. 34 times in the Bible, it records that the believer is to have joy in all situations. Now, can you already see how radical it is? Joy in all situations. As I said last week, and as you probably lived out this week, I'm sure there were things that happened to you last week that you found very difficult to have joy in. I know it because that's just the way life is. But he is saying that these things should be continual in our lives. Not only did we see be joyful last week, but we also saw the phrase be prayerful. In verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. Now, some people would ask, Okay, how do you have joy all the time? How is that even possible? I think that's the reason he mentions the very next verse there when he says pray without ceasing. It comes about through prayer. So what is prayer? Well, the one way that I see prayer, uh, uh, one of many, is the idea that we come to God, we come before God to gain his perspective, to gain his perspective. And once we gain his perspective, I believe it becomes easier to be joyful about the circumstances that come in our lives. Thirdly, last week we looked at the idea to be thankful. It's the hot idea to go from request to gratitude. Look at verse 18. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now think about that. Again, we're dealing with radical statements. He says, have joy. He's saying, pray without ceasing. Now he's saying, in everything, give thanks. Everything that happened to you, you're to give thanks. 
Some of you may say, well, I'm just going to tell you, last week I definitely wasn't grateful for some things that happened to me. Well, what does he say here? In everything. You hear how radical that is? So really when you think about it, gratitude is the language of the Bible. But what does it mean to be grateful? These are some statements I gave you last week. Uh, They were on last week's outline, but look at some of these things. Being thankful is a one-time commitment and a decision made in every circumstance. So basically, it's that idea that you are saying, maybe today, you're saying, God, your word says that I am to have a heart of gratitude no matter what goes on in my life. And God, I'm making a decision today that in your power, in your perspective, in everything that is about you, that I'm going to attempt from this day forward to be grateful for the events that happen in my life. It doesn't end there. How many of you notice that circumstances come soon after that decision's made? And so every time you're dealt with those circumstances, you are making a decision to be grateful. And again, boy, that's radical when you think about it. Another idea, be thankful. Being thankful is not giving way to complaining and grumbling. You see, when you're grateful, even in the, the most difficult of circumstances, if you're grateful, it does not lend itself to complaining. Let me just ask a simple question. Did any of you whine any this week? Did any of you? Again, don't look at each other. I, I know. <laughs> but, but it's like we're prone to. We're, our first go-to sometimes is to complain and, and whine. And I get it. That's, that's everybody's go-to. But he's saying make a conscious effort. Be grateful in all things. Next, being thankful ushers the presence of God into our lives. If we really want to sense God's work in our life or God is there, it comes by way of that gratitude that we have for him. Next, being thankful changes our perspective. If we can somehow move from the complaining and the whining and all that to the heart of gratitude, it changes a lot of things that go on in our lives. Being thankful is being aware of God working on our behalf. I mean, you think about it. Something very difficult comes into our lives. You see, the, the, the way the scripture seems to show us is that the way that you're grateful for things or the way that you're to have joy for things is not to get so caught up in the, the moment of what's going on in your life. The, the Bible says we got to, as I said last week, got to have a big picture when it comes to our lives. It, sometimes it requires us to back away from the circumstance and the situation to say, okay, I don't like this in my life. This is very difficult to go through. It's breaking my heart. But you know something? I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to try to see it through God's eyes. I'm going to try to see it in such a way that that maybe God is working in this situation and not only looking at it that end, but trusting that he's working in that situation. And, And that's really the principle of the scriptures. Being thankful, being thankful allows grace to work in our lives. You know, so many times, you know, you look at the apostle Paul, we said this last week. It's interesting, Paul prayed. You remember last week, he prayed three times for something not to be in his life anymore, really, is what he was praying. And we don't know what that was. But three times, he, he went before the Lord. Lord, take this away. Take this away. Lord, please take this away. What was his response? Paul, my grace is sufficient for this situation. What you're dealing with, my grace is sufficient. And you know what he went on to say? 
Paul basically was saying, this is necessary to be in your life. And some of those things that we're praying will go away. Some of those things, we get so caught up in the fact that we think God's not answering that prayer. God doesn't care. And we throw all those things and we go to our whining and complaining. He's saying, no, you need to return to the fact that I am at work in your life. And if it's there, it's there because there's a reason that it's there. And that's the God that we serve. So this week, I want us to look at the next two. And and so we looked at be joyful, be prayerful, be thankful, and then next, be responsive. And and what are we to be responsive about? What's the whole idea? Well, you gotta understand what God's trying to do in our lives. He's trying to move us from darkness to light, okay? He's trying to bring us to the light. Now, what did Jesus say about himself? He said, I'm the light, Uh, When you look at God's word, you know how it's described as? It's the light. It's the light. It's 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 where God resides in. It's where you can see the work of God. So, so what are we to be responsive, responsive to? How do we enter into the light? Here it is on your outline. Be responsive to the spirit, to the spirit. Look at what he says in verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Again, he's giving you these bullet points. It's like, don't do this, don't do Do, be this, be that. And then all of a sudden he says, do not quench the spirit. The word quench literally means to put out or to extinguish a driving force. Think about a fire. A fire, when you really think about it, it's really a driving force. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, you look at some of the fires that are going on in the world today, down in Brazil, and, and you look at some of the fires in Utah and all these different places. It's a driving force. So what are they trying to do? They're trying to extinguish the fire, which they should because it's causing a lot of destruction. But in this case, Paul is saying, don't, ex- don't extinguish or don't quench the Spirit's role in your life. So what I want you to do is, Hold your place in 1 Thessalonians. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Now, what, what's happening in John chapter 14, Jesus is basically telling his disciples, hey guys, something's getting ready to change. Something's getting ready to change. I, I'm not going to be with you for, but just for a little while. Uh, my time is coming to an end. But I want to tell you something that's going to happen when I leave. And basically what he's doing is he's prophesying or he's basically telling them there's another helper that's coming. I've been here for you. I've been leading you. I've been guiding you. I've been teaching you the ways of the Father. And and, and I've been leading by example. But when I'm gone, there's something that is going to come. And of course, we know what that is based on the fact we know Scripture. It's the Spirit of God. He's saying the Spirit of God's coming. Now, when he comes, and these look on your outline, there's several things he's going to do. The first thing that we know that he does is he speaks. He speaks. Now, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is a common theme that we find in those chapters that deal with, with God talking to the churches. But how does God talk to the churches? It says through his spirit. It's the same way God desires to speak to us, through his spirit. Now, some of you may say you've had maybe an experience like this. I've never had that. I've never heard the spirit of God speak to me audibly. 
I, I haven't. I, I, maybe some of you have. I, I haven't. But boy, let me tell you this. He has spoken in my life. There are times where I just, it's like you sense that there's just something there that he's speaking life into me. And he does the same thing for all of us. So the spirit, he does speak. Second of all, what what else does he do? Well, he intercedes. Now, what does it mean to intercede? How many of you sometimes don't know what to pray for? You ever been in a situation where you just didn't know what to pray for? you're in a situation, you're there, you're trying to make sense of it all. And did you know that the Bible says, even when we get to those points, that there's something within us that prays on our behalf? Do you know what it is? It's the Spirit of God. Look at, uh, look at the verse here on the screen. Romans 8 said this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Now, what could our weaknesses be? It could be those times we don't know what to pray. It can be those times where we're so distraught and we're struggling so mightily that, that, that something else takes over. He says, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but what? The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When he says this idea of groanings that cannot be uttered, what he's talking about there are those things that probably would not make sense to us because of the perspective that we find ourselves in or because it may be that we're complaining and whining and all these things. It's when the Spirit takes over and begins to pray on our behalf. How many of you find that fascinating? But that's exactly what what it says. So he intercedes. Next, we find out that the Spirit, He indwells. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, do you not know that you are the temple of God? Now, let's try to get our minds around that. We're the temple of God. Think about what the temple was in the Old Covenant. Old Covenant, the temple was a place where people would go to to attempt to, to, to come before God and be made right before God. It was also a place in which uh, it contained the presence of God. That's what the temple was. The Holy of Holies was literally the place where the presence of God resided. Now, this will blow you away. Now, you are that person. You are that temple. You're, think about that. That should blow our minds that within us is the presence of God. How is that manifested? Through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God now, for those who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He indwells us. Look what it says. That we are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in us. You know what the terminology literally means? It finds its home in us. That's the reason sometimes. How many, ever been, how many of you have ever uh, been around people and you just sense that they were a believer? You just sense there's just something about them. Now, does that make sense that that would happen? Yeah. The presence of God resides in me. And and the Bible says if someone else is a believer in Christ, guess what? The Spirit of God resides in, in them also. And so therefore, when we come across one another, there's something that's there. So we know that he indwells us. Next, the Spirit of God, he comforts. He comforts. How many of you have ever been in a situation where 
You just thought that what you were feeling was just supernatural. Now, I'm, I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to certain things. Um, I, I remember years ago as a young pastor going in and praying with people just before they were to have surgery. And, and I used to sit there and think, man, I don't, I don't know how you're in your, even in your right mind getting ready to go through what you're getting ready to go through. <laughs> you know, I, I would sit there and I feel so sorry for them. It's like, how do you even get your mind around the fact that they're going to be cutting on you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and, and so all of a sudden, years later, I started dealing with some health ailments myself. I, I needed a little cutting on myself. And, and, and before they gave me the medication, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The doc, I don't care medication. How many of you love that kind of medication? You know? <laughs> I, I, I had a piece about it. There was just a comfort that came over me. And, and, and it did, definitely didn't come from me because you know where I was just moments before when I was praying over someone else. I didn't have it then, but boy, when I needed it, it was there. It was there. I was amazed at the peace I had about this. Then I met the doctor and I wasn't, no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, <laughs> but, but, but it's that comforting. So look at John chapter 14. I want you to look at verse 26. Again, Jesus is saying, guys, things are about to change. I'm going to be leaving, but look at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. The helper, you know what the word helper literally means? The encourager, the comforter is coming and he will be there for you. So we know that God, through the Holy Spirit, he comforts. Second, next, he teaches, he teaches. Look at the second part of the same verse. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He's going to teach you what you need to know. How many of you have ever um, had uh, something just kind of come to you and you really don't know where it came from? You, you know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm not talking about being under the influence of drugs or anything. I, I'm talking about something just came to you. Some awareness of something. Something to say to someone. And all of a sudden you said it and it was like, Wow, where'd that come from? <laughs> About every Sunday I stand up and, and teach you guys, I'm amazed at what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. No, I'm just kidding. But, but it is amazing to see how God has the ability to speak through me. And he does the same thing through you. Have you ever had someone say, man, what you said made so much sense to me. It, it struck me in such a way that I'm not sure I'll ever get over the way you said that. I guarantee you that didn't come from you. It came from what was in you. It's the spirit of God. Next, he convicts. Look at verse, uh, look at chapter 16, verse eight. And when he had, has come, this is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The, the Holy Spirit that indwells us has vital roles when it comes to what he's trying to accomplish. Now think about this. The Spirit of God that indwells you is attempting to accomplish things. You ever thought about it that way? 
So the Spirit of God's here. He's dwelling in me, okay? First of all, let's just say before I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Before you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, did you know that the Holy Spirit of God was already at work in your life based on the authority of Scripture? Did you know that he was already turning things up in your life, probably turning some things around, trying to get your attention, trying to draw you to Jesus? That's what the Bible says is going on. That's the reason we need to pray for Tessa and Quint and all those that are out there. We need to pray for them that, that, that those hearts would be open, that when the word comes forth, when that spiritual conversation begins to happen, there's some identification that something has already happened before we even shows up, before we even show up. And that's what we're talking about here. How about the believer? What's going on? What's, what's the Spirit of God trying to accomplish in your life? Bottom line, you know what he's trying to do? Make you more like Jesus. He wants to make you a clone of Jesus Christ. He, he wants to make your reactions the same way Jesus would have reacted. He wants to take the gifts that he brings, we'll talk about that in just a moment, and use that in such a way that it honors God. He wants to use your life to make God special in this world. You ever thought about that? That's his goal. That's what he's trying to do. He has a role in your life. Next, the Holy Spirit, he guides. Look at verse 13. He says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, isn't it interesting the terminologies we're looking at? First of all, he's called the helper, which means comforter or encourager. Now he's using a different way to describe him. Now he's the what? The spirit of truth. Now, what does that mean? That means there's no deception in him. Literally, when you look at the terminology Jesus uses and the way John, this is being written, it literally means there's no darkness in what he brings. He's bringing light. Okay? So, however, when he, the Spirit of God, has come, what will he do? He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you. I mean, I mean think about this world. How many of you would agree this world is pretty dark? You just turn on the news, you hear darkness. You overhear people's conversations, you hear darkness. You hear decisions that are being made, uh, it, 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 darkness. Darkness is everywhere. You know the way that I envision this? I envision that the, the Holy Spirit of God is almost, he has a flashlight and he flips it on. He's trying to show us and guide us to the truth in the midst of all the darkness. And, and that's what we need to understand. That's, that's exactly what his role is. That's what we're understanding here. So he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority. Everything that he does is not based on his wishes necessarily. He's yielding to a higher authority, which is God himself. But whatever he hears, he will speak. Whatever he's ordered to bring forth in your life or to show you in your life is, is from the intentions of God himself. And he will tell you things to come. I think when he says, when he tells you things to come, you know what I believe that is? I think that's a combination between wisdom and discernment. Do you, you, know what, you, know what, you know what wisdom truly is? It's the, the ability to see beyond. That's what wisdom is. 
Your ability to see beyond. You're not just looking at the problem here. You're not just looking at what lies before. You're, not, you're seeing what, what is beyond this or what may be before this. You're seeing it from all kinds of sides. Only the Spirit of God can give you that kind of idea into that. How many of you need that at times? You need wisdom. Let, let me ask you this. When's the last time you prayed for wisdom? God, these are your children. These are your children. God, give me wisdom to know how to fulfill what you desire in their lives. Yes. You see how that works? God, give me wisdom. I'm not sure where to turn here, where you may be directing. And your word says that the spirit of God, the one that indwells me will be my God. He won't lead me into darkness. He'll lead me into light. He'll give me that wisdom that I need. God, I'm trusting in that. And that's exactly what he does. Next, he glorifies Jesus. Look at verse 14. It says, he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is doing the talking here. He's basically saying what, what, what his goal when he comes, basically he's gonna finish the work. What I have started, he will continue. What, what will he continue? He will continue the redemptive plan of God through you. He will continue to glorify the father just as me, Jesus, glorified him when I was here on earth. He'll do the same thing. And he'll do it through you. Next, he reassures. He reassures. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever doubted your salvation? I guarantee you, if you were completely honest with me, every hand in this room would go up. We've all been there, haven't we? Have you ever doubted your salvation? Have you, has it taken you even far, far enough where you even doubt that God even cares about you? That is there even a God? Isn't it amazing the way the enemy can squirm in there and create all this doubt in us? But did you know that the Spirit of God, when he's there, he can, he can reassure us that we are his? Romans 8, 16, look at it. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, I want you to think about this. This is heavy stuff. Here's where I believe, here's what I believe. You may agree to disagree, but I think this is what the Bible teaches. Before I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was made up of body and soul, okay? I had a body, a physical body, and I had a soul. But, but, but the Bible says when, 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 when that redemptive work happened in my life, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God came to live within me, guess what happened? Something was made alive in me. It's my spirit was made alive. So I believe we as Christians, we're made up of three, body, soul, and spirit. We're gonna talk more about that next week. But, but we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. Now here's what's interesting. We're not only made up of body, soul, and spirit, there was something that was awakened in us, but there's also the spirit of God. So, so within us, there are two spirits, the spirit of God and our spirit. Okay, do you get that? The very thing that Christ awakened us to. And so there's that whole idea that one can be affirming, the, the one, meaning the Holy Spirit, is affirming and reassuring who we are in Christ. Now, when are the times that you don't doubt your salvation? 
I don't know when it is for you, but I can tell you when it is for me. It's when I see God working in my life. When, when there's something that's out there that's glaring at me, that I know that the world is cheering me on, wanting me to go in that direction and all those, and my flesh is crying out for it. And all of a sudden there's something else there making intercession or something there else giving me wisdom about this or giving me power to overcome that. That's when I'm reassured of who I am in Christ. And, and he does that. Next, he gives gifts, the spirit of God. He says, but one, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one. This is in the context of spiritual gifts, individually as he wills. Let me tell you the most fulfilling life you could ever have is when you identify the gift the spirit of God has given you and he works through that gift for the kingdom of God. That is the most fulfilling time of your life. Did you know that this is the most fulfilling time of my life is when I'm standing up here using the gifts God's given me in the way he intends me to use them? This is it. Whether you're talking about the gifts of service, some of you have the gift of serving and, and boy, you, you just love to serve other people. You love to put yourself out there for other people. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's a connection that's made there. There's just something that feels so right about that, that's so fulfilling. That's what he intends. Next, he empowers Acts 1.8, look here on the screen. But you shall receive power. This is Jesus talking. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he's gonna bring power. In the context of what he's saying here, he's going to bring you power to be witnesses. He's going to bring you power to, to share who you are in Christ or to, to share the gospel message. But he, he empowers us with many other things too, doesn't he? He can empower us to overcome temptation. He can empower us with wisdom and discernment. He's fully capable. I want you to now hold your place in First Thessalonians chapter Five, turn to Galatians 5. If you will, go ahead and turn over there too. There's something I want you to see there. Now, there are definite behaviors that reveal that a person has quenched the Holy Spirit. Now, let's get back to where we were. So God's word says this. This is imperative. This is a command from Paul, uh, which I believe comes from God because he's writing on behalf of God. He says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't put out what God is, this work that he's doing in you. Don't, don't extinguish this driving force, okay? That, that's the terminology. There are definite behaviors that come when we quench the Holy Spirit, when we put out that work, okay? Now, this, this is not on your notes here, but I have it in the back back there on the eye desk. You can pick it up back there. What do those things look like? What is evidence of quenching the Holy Spirit? Look at Galatians chapter five, and I want you to look at verse 19, okay? Now, the works of the flesh are evident, okay? They're, that means they're clearly seen, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresy, envy, murderers, drunkenness, rivalries, and of, the, uh, and of the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
These things that are alive and well in you, these things that become just natural to you, those things are not going to be a part of the kingdom. And so every time, if I've got the Spirit of God living in me and I'm quenching the Spirit, He's saying, "This this is what will take over. But what are the evidences of not quenching the Spirit? Well, it's the next verses. But the fruit, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, if you don't quench the Spirit, what are we capable of? Here it is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When he says against such, there is no law. Let me tell you what that means. Here's what it means. If if the fruit of the Spirit is working through me, it's not because I'm keeping a particular law. It's because the Spirit of God, who is the author of all that, resides in me. And when I do not quench the Spirit and I allow Him to work through me, these are the things that will happen. That's what will happen. Love will come out. Joy will come out. Peace in the midst of dire circumstances will come out. Can you see there's a difference? This is all the work of the Spirit of God. So let me give you some other things. And these are on the handout in the back back there. But what are the evidences of of not quenching the Spirit? Listen to some of these. A love for those who are difficult to love. Anybody got those in your life? How many of you have ever gone up to someone and say, I am amazed that I love you? <laughs> you, you? You ever said that? That's the Spirit of God working. You can say it that way, really. I am amazed that I love you. The ability to forgive. Do you know forgiveness is supernatural? It is. Because everything in our nature tells us what? Get back, revenge, just go after, just compassion for those who are hurting. Joy and peace in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. The ability to endure difficulty with strength and grace. Humility and personal accomplishments. Rejection of sinful impulses with increasing strength. These are all ideas of what you can do when you don't extinguish or quench the Spirit of God in your life and you allow Him to live through you. Now, every bit of that, I don't know about you, sounds like victory. How many of you like victory? Yeah, we love victory. We want victory. We want to be successful. Next, be responsive, darkness to light. So we go to the Spirit to the world, to the word. First Corinthians chapter five says this. And some people are like, now what does this mean? Do not despise prophecies. The word prophecies there are literally, if you were to say, are God's revelations. So basically what he's saying is do not despise God's word. Do not despise his instruction. Now, it, it also lends itself to this idea. We are to find value in God's word and in his instruction. It literally comes from the idea that we are to treasure it, that we are to count on it. Why? Here's why. First of all, because it's from God himself. It's without error, it is authoritative, and it leads to blessings. Think about that. 
That's powerful when you think about it. Now, the process of receiving God's word, I'm gonna quickly go through this. There's something called revelation. It's just where God just reveals himself to you. The primary way God reveals himself to you, listen, is through his word. It's through his word. That's the reason we put so much emphasis on studying his word. Uh, next is inspiration. God working in the hearts of human writers, inspiring them to write his word. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's been given. The, the authors were literally just putting down the words of God. This is his word. Next, there's interpretation. Determining the intended meaning of God's word. And y'all, this is where a lot of mistakes go, go happen in, in, when it comes to the word of God for many people. Did you know whole denominations and whole, I shouldn't link all this together, but cults have been created because people didn't know how to interpret properly the word of God. Or they twisted it in such a way that they, they could use it. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, here's a way we are to take it. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, here it is, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is in the truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You took it as his word. So interpretation can be very dangerous in attempting to understand God's word. So many times we can take things out of context. We can, def by def uh, defending one's flesh or unhealthy desires, sometimes we'll twist things, trusting other sources of perceived truth. Sometimes we're over here and all of a sudden there seem, appears to be a conflict between science and the world. And, and all of a sudden we're like, well, this was written 2,000 years ago. This is pretty up to date. Probably need to go with this. But you know what I found out about science? I've lived long enough to see science go in so many different directions. And you know where I find science most of the time? You know what I find happening? That there's errors. I mean, it seems like every generation, there's errors we find in science. And do you know where science is slowly moving us? I believe back to a creator. And it is amazing what the way it's, it's gone full circle. It carries us right back to the truth of God's word. So we gotta be careful. The best way to, and to study and interpret the Bible is through what many call inductive Bible study. It's when we get in there, let the Bible speak for itself. And you can go online and learn how to do inductive Bible study. That's how I create sermons. That's the way you need to study the Bible. Inductive Bible study. Next, illumination. The Holy Spirit assisting one in gaining both the sense and significance of God's word. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there and I'm reading God's word and, and, and I'm looking into God's word and, and maybe there's something I'm going through. Again, what, what's happening in us? There's something alive and well in us. And what it can do is, is bring affirmation. It can show us something in the word. That's illumination. You ever read in God's word and all of a sudden, man, that was for me. You ever sat in here on a Sunday morning and all of a sudden uh, God uses something that I'm speaking and all of a sudden it identifies something and, and here's how I hear it said many times. It was just like you were just speaking to me. Y'all, I'm not that smart. The Spirit of God is doing that. And that's the reason I preach the Word because only the Word is capable of doing that. So we see illumination and then application, determining the relevance, relevance, 
yeah, relevance of God's word and then actively responding. Let me tell you what happens to many people. I'm just going to be real quick here. We can go as far as the whole idea of illumination where it, we think it is supernatural what we just heard. We think, man, this is wonderful. This is the answer. But do you know what seals the deal, so to speak? It's the application. I, I've seen people go all the way to the illumination where they knew it was a word from God, but they never applied it to their life. What does that sound like? Here, here's, let me give you a case of something I've heard before. You know, 10 years ago, I believe God had his finger on something in my life back here 10 years ago. No doubt the Spirit of God was working through the Word of God in their life, revealed something, and they said, but I never followed through. And normally what they say after that is destruction after destruction. After, this is when it all started going wrong for me. This is when the marriage got shaky. This is when the kids got sideways. They didn't apply it. We've got to learn to apply God's word. The purpose of God's word, quickly. I don't have time, but here's, here's your homework assignment. To convict, to convert, to cleanse. This is good stuff. To change, to comfort, to challenge, and also to reveal God's character. That's what it's all about. That's what he's up to. And so I don't know where God has you right now. I'm not going to be able to finish the sermon. I'll catch it up next week. But I don't know where God has you right now. But let me tell you one thing you better, you better build in your life. And that is a discipline to understand or to, to, to know the difference between when other forces are speaking to you and when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You better understand the difference, okay? Can I tell you what the difference will be? When you start hearing messages that align with God's word, that's the Holy Spirit. When you hear things that feed your desires, that's not of the Holy Spirit, okay? You really need to pay attention. And then lastly, let me just say this. In this day and age, more than probably any other age, you need to learn to treasure God's word. You better. Because the people who are away from it, do you see what's happening? You better learn to treasure the word. I want to ask the ushers to come forward. Father, we just come to you right now. and We just thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, we know you're up to something in our lives. And, and Father, I pray that a sermon like this this morning is not one of those that we hear something and boy, it's just like you're speaking to us and then we leave here as though we never heard it. Father, help us to leave here today knowing that our hope is found in the Holy Spirit's work in us. And, and that work will be affirmed and confirmed through your word. Father, help us to be people of the Spirit. Help us to be people of the word. And Father, we pray for this offering that you'll use it to help us to continue to, to reach out. And Father, we do pray for Tessa. as She's going out in the next several weeks to, to Sweden. And Father, we just pray for prepared hearts. We pray that you would just work in the lives of those that she'll be encountering. And Lord, I pray you'll bring the support that needs to be there for her to go. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.